0: It's now time to go around the nation in Division III football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. And it's great to be back here on the Around the Nation podcast. Thanks, Dave. As uh, you mentioned, I'm Pat Coleman. He's Keith McMillan. And uh, every Monday here on the Around the Nation podcast for the entire 16 weeks of the Division Three football season, we will bring you our analysis. We'll go through the week that was and then uh, run through the week that will be. If you're, for example, playing this on the page on our blog, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Do that in uh, iTunes or in your favorite uh, podcast player. On your Android device, uh, join the thousands of people who download and listen to this on Monday mornings. We're uh, very grateful that uh, you guys do because we love talking about Division Three football, and it's a uh, you know an even larger season this year. Not that the season is longer than the 16 weeks, or that the playoffs could ever be bigger than the 32 that uh, the uh, NCAA has. Uh, has granted us here in Division III football, but it's larger because we have more football teams. And in this case, uh, for example, Finlandia, uh, up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, uh, the first Division III football team in the UP uh, as the Lions took the field for the first time on Saturday. Now, that team didn't uh, score any points, so there are some future firsts yet to come, and uh, Alma defeated Finlandia 43-0. I went up there, talked with Tim Driscoll, the head coach, his team full of players who had never played a 16 minute game, nonetheless fought for the full 60 minutes.
1: You know, I'm really proud of our players, just how they they kept on competing. You you know, we got down 22-0 right away, and we competed that second quarter. We were playing hard. Um, we we're, were getting stops on defense. We were moving the football on offense. And, you know, we weren't able to punch it into the end zone or get points out of it. But, um, you know, there were a ton of positives with, the, with, with, with that first half,
0: you know. As we bring in Keith McMillan, uh, Keith, uh, yet another Division III football team. And uh, we've seen a lot of them come into Division III over the past decades.
1: Sure. From, from George Fox, out in Oregon, all the way to you know brand new schools in on the East Coast. Um, Division three football is growing. We're now nearing 250 teams. We've got 247 this season, and you know some of them come over from other divisions. But for the most part, these are brand new startups or schools that revive programs that have been gone for you know since the 60s or what have you. And uh, obviously, it, it's good to uh, to expand, but it's a tough. Sometimes a tough road to hold the first couple of years. Pat, um, longtime listeners to this podcast will know that we get excited to see a team when it gets to that fourth year where it has a group of freshmen that have played for several seasons together and become a group of seniors. We get excited in the fifth year because we want to see if the program's built something where it can sustain that momentum from the first group that has that played. But for Finlandia, I think Coach Driscoll, you know, he has the right attitude coming out of that first game, obviously – um, not the score you want to see, but, but um, there, there are going to be some tough days, some tough Saturdays uh, when you look at Finlandia's schedule. The next three games at UW Oshkosh at defending national champion Wisconsin Whitewater at Stevens Point. And then they'll, they'll get into a stretch of games where they, you know, they may be able to compete. to play Marana- Maranatha Baptist twice in October as well as presentation Trinity Bible. Uh, and you look at that uh, very last game at the end of the year at Mount St. Joseph. That'll be a game where we can compare to this result um, in week one and see how far Finlandia has come. You know, do they are they competitive with Mount Saint Joseph uh, through the first season, and then uh, and then we'll watch Finlandia grow.
0: New beginnings there, uh, of course, lots of new things across Division Three, and we'll talk about uh, some of them. Uh, Keith and I will hand out our game balls. Uh, we'll talk about uh, teams on the rise, teams that uh, take a fall this week. Try to. Uh, go through some things that were off the beaten path and that sort of thing. But I, I think Keith, you know, we talked about it in our uh, kind of preview podcast a few weeks ago, but the question uh, on everybody's mind, not that we can take a, or want to take a whole bunch of time on it, because one of these teams didn't even play this week, but is, you know, obviously dethroning those purple powers and getting uh, if not uh, either Mount Union or Whitewater, maybe both of them out of the stag bowl this year.
1: Yeah. Nine of the past 10 stag bowls have been uh, Mount Union, Whitewater matchups, uh, five of the past six have gone to the Warhawks. But some big changes at the top for both of those programs. Uh, Lance Leipold off to D1 Buffalo. Uh, he had his debut on Saturday, I believe, although I didn't follow D1 too closely this particular Saturday. Um,
0: I know they won. That's all all I right, got.
1: see, that, that's, all I, that, that's all I was getting at. Um, but a big change at the top. Kevin Bullis takes over at Whitewater, a new quarterback at Mountain Union, and, and they did play. Here in D three on Saturday, and so yeah, we'll, of course, every team gunning to be one of those two teams that gets to Salem, and 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 there are probably you know a handful between six to twelve teams we could say legitimately have a chance to uh, to beat them at some point in the in the playoffs. It happens every year that somebody has them on the ropes in the fourth quarter, in Whitewater and Whitewater and Mount Union just find ways to win. And so as we look at the season, we always look at it in a couple different levels. We're looking at conference races, we're looking at rivalries, we're looking at who's going to make the top twenty five and who makes the playoffs and then eventually as we get down to week 11 of this podcast we'll be real concerned with who can knock off two purple powers
0: one of the best things about this time of the year is that uh there's so many interesting non-conference matchups uh some of them are long-standing ones some of them are recent rivalries uh some of them are brand new and uh i'm gonna go into one of those games right now when i hand out my game ball and uh I could tell you right now who I'm going to give my game ball to, but uh, why don't we go back to the audio, and we'll let uh, a pair of uh, Red Dragon broadcasters tell you who. Final play of the game, second and 15. Ferrara is
1: going to go to the air. Fires it up to the end zone, and this one is going to be... Oh, by Mannix, oh my goodness! Collins, gonna win another one! Wow, John Mannix hauls it in. You couldn't have asked for a better season opener after how the season ended a year ago. Picking right up where they left off. What an amazing catch. Ferrara floated it up for him in the end zone. And he came down with it for the touchdown. And John Mannix is going to be the hero once again for the Cortland Red Dragons.
0: I went for this game, and as you could probably tell, that's uh, John Mannix catching a, uh, a 29-yard Hail Mary touchdown at the end of the game uh, from junior Stephen Ferreira to lift Cortland State pass Heidelberg 26-24. Um, the reason, one of the reasons I picked this game uh, in this particular play specifically to uh, – and, and Mannix to hand my game ball to was just remembering how – Last year, uh, last season started for Cortland. Uh, Cortland seemed to find as many ways as possible to lose a game through the first three weeks of the season. And in this case, uh, Cortland comes out with a big uh, win in the opener. Uh, A team that is uh, picked to finish somewhere in that amazing pack of teams in the Empire Eight versus Heidelberg, a team that uh, you know it would uh, was uh, there was a, a. pretty good discussion on our staff as to whether heidelberg would uh should be the number three team or the number four team in our preseason predictions in the ohio athletic conference and uh, Cortland state uh you know gets a a good early start on its uh 2015 season and a possible 2015 playoff resume
1: yeah i just think it's pretty remarkable that it was mannix who caught the the touchdown to beat Ithaca at the end of last season after they lost so many different brutal ways last season. And then he does it again at the start of the season, as they mentioned in uh, in the uh, broadcast. For my game ball, I'll go with uh, Roman Namdar from Mount Union. Uh, the, the Purple Raiders got off to a slow start on Saturday before pulling away from Bethany in, in a typically dominant 47-0 win in, uh, in Tara Scott's first start. Scott had a big game, he was the leading rusher and passer for Mount Union, and he's the brand new quarterback that we talked about, the guy who had to replace Kevin Burke, two-time Gallardi Trophy winner, and uh, and also led Mount Union to the national championship in 2012. But um, but Namdar was the player that, that we're told he beat out in the quarterback competition. He's the one who broke the game open on Saturday. He had five catches for 127 yards and three touchdowns, and since it might be several weeks before we talk about Mountain Union in depth again on the podcast, just figure I'd get those names on your radar, uh, assuming you missed the uh, preseason All-American team. We'll hear from both Scott and Namdar quite a bit throughout the uh, the season. But the real reason this stands out to me, of course, is because Namdar had to overcome some hardships of his own making. Remember, he missed the 2003 season after an off-campus incident in which he was later cleared of all charges. So uh, someone who's missed a season and who uh, theoretically got beat out in the quarterback competition makes a huge difference for Mount Union on Saturday.
0: My team on the rise, uh, at least in the top 25, if not in general esteem. Rowan has to be on that list. Uh, The props were on the verge of getting in the top 25 in the preseason, just a few votes away. Uh, Defense was the name of the game on a Saturday where they defeated Widener, especially in the second half where they didn't give the uh, Pride's quarterback, Seth Klein a lot of time to throw. And Whit Marcelin broke a couple of long runs to give the props some breathing room. So it'll be interesting to see how Rowan does going forward. Uh, they've gone away from the spread uh, on offense this year, uh, especially since they don't really have the personnel to run it right now, and Marcelin will end up getting the ball early and often, but uh, the defense might give them enough to live up to that number 20 ranking that they have going into this week.
1: Yeah, the, the real amazing part of that score is, is the 10 as much as the 24. To hold Widener, such a prolific offense to 10, is, uh, is amazing. That's Lin- My-
0: it's Linfield-esque there on defense.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, Going back to last season. References for people who were paying attention. Um, My risers, Morrisville State. I I think we all just assumed that no Lamar Johnson meant the Mustangs were going to backslide this season, but Corey Benedetto led Morrisville to an eye-opening 28-20 Week 1 win. St. Lawrence was an eight-win team last season, returning a whopping 20 starters, and they fell behind 22-7 before rallying to make it interesting. Now, Benedetto was just 16 of 32 passing, but he had no turnovers and four big connections with Anthony Mella, including a 63-yard touchdown pass, one of two that Mella caught in the game. Uh, The Saints defense, or the the, uh, Morrisville State defense, also allowed the Saints just 26 yards rushing. Now, I had St. Lawrence on my top 25 radar going into the season, but I moved Morrisville, remember a nine-win team last year into the low 20s this week because why not you know week one is the time for massive reevaluations of your top 25 ballot
0: yeah i i you know i, I feel pretty similarly about morrisville state i thought that uh, again it would be the uh, lamar johnson show and they would uh they'd be in that pack of uh, of teams in the empire eight but not necessarily able to compete uh or or rise to the top and and saint lawrence i mean saint lawrence gave uh, Gave Hobart pretty much everything it could handle last year. Has a lot of those key pieces back. Um, and I thought, too, that uh, St. Lawrence, after losing to Norwich last season, right, uh, and mm-hmm. costing themselves a, a early in the season, eventually costing themselves a, a a shot in an at-large bid, I thought that they would, uh, they would not let those uh, opportunities slip by them this year. But uh, uh, apparently not. At least they didn't on Saturday. Or that wasn't yeah. even Saturday. That was Friday, wasn't it? I don't know what day that was. There
1: was... <laughs> <laughs> All the, well, we had we had games on three days this week, and so they
0: do kind of run together. Thursday games, <laughs> Friday games, and Saturdays this week. Oh, you know, now I have to go check that. Look at that. That was a Saturday game. It was like one of the first Saturday games. It just felt like Friday, uh, as much time as I spent on the road this week. All right. Other direction. Teams taking a fall. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Central. I'm digging really far down the voting totals to pull these guys out, but regardless of the point total they had coming into the week, the Dutch were still a candidate to at least play for second place in the Iowa Conference. So for the Dutch, losing it home to Benedictine, 21-19, is, well, not good. And uh, Benedictine did it mostly with defense, but then with a finish, I know you'll appreciate, Keith. They got the ball after Central's final touchdown and missed two-point conversion with six minutes left and ran out the clock. 13 plays, 74 yards, and the Eagles went home with the win. Uh, Central actually came into the fourth quarter with less than 100 yards of total offense before two touchdown drives got them back into it, but not enough. And uh, Benedictine, who's uh, one of the three teams we thought would be right in the mix in the uh, NACC, comes out with a W there.
1: Yeah, and I think that also kind of throws into doubt what we think about the uh, the Iowa conference because there's Wartburg at the top there, You're wondering if Central is one of those teams that's going to challenge. Now we don't know if there even is a team that's, that's going to challenge Wartburg. My team's, uh, my team that'll take a fall. I mean, Widener is an obvious one, and we'll talk about uh, we talked about Widener already. St. John Fisher is another, and we'll talk about that in, in a few minutes. Um, but if those ones are too obvious, I'll go with Heidelberg, and I know we've mentioned that already as well, but but that's a team that was basically a 57-56-second drive away from notching a nice season opening win over an Empire 8 team. Remember, they they scored to take the lead over Cortland State with a minute two left in that one. And the student princes of course, have to face Mount Union and John Carroll in conference play, so their road to an automatic bid is probably blocked, and their at-large chances and chance to be on the top 25 radar probably just went up in smoke too, which is a shame, you know, because they might still end up being a very good team, maybe a top 50 type of team this year.
0: Yeah, I, um, you know, it, it'll be really interesting. Heidelberg completely retooling its offense this season. Uh, they lost uh, so many uh, top of their top guys from uh, last season. Austin Damschroeder, I'm going to pull that name out, right? He's the uh, uh, the offensive lineman who was on the preseason All-American team. He's one of the few guys who's uh, back on offense uh, f- for Heidelberg. Um, we're going to go a little bit further off the beaten path. This is my uh, under-the-radar, off-the-beaten-path highlight. And I'm going to uh, River Forest, which is home to Concordia, Chicago. Uh, they scored twice in the final five minutes of the fourth quarter. Both of them uh, touchdowns with two-point conversions to win uh, just a wild home opener versus Beloit by the score of 51-50. to 50. And, and in case that wasn't... Uh, you know, unusual enough, you know, 16 points in the closing minutes to come back for a win. Beloit ran its kicker out for a 59-yard field goal in the final play of the game, and the kick was wide right, not short. So Beloit nearly added to the fireworks and almost came away with a, a W of its own in that uh, in that crazy game.
1: Yeah, I, I've got a crazy off-the-beaten-path highlight as well. How about Albright rallying from down 23-3 to with three fourth-quarter touchdowns to beat Salisbury on Friday night? You know, you glance at the scoreboard page at the end of the weekend and you're liable to gla- glaze right over that one because the, the, it's not really a surprise to see Albright beat Salisbury in a close game. But uh, but you dig deep into what actually happened in that one. It took three touchdown drives of at least seven plays in the fourth quarter plus a stop on fourth and two at the five-yard line going in for the Lions to win. Uh, and, I, and I think if any team in the nation is built to kill clock in the, first quor- in the fourth quarter, it's Salisbury because basically all they do is run. So, even after the Lions took their first lead, 24 23 in this game, uh, the Seagulls took over on their own 23 and marched to the one yard line and were, un- and-, and of course, unable to punch it in, they lined up for an 18 yard game winning field goal. And you already know what happened on that one. They hooked it. And that has to be right up there with the game you just mentioned, Pat, or the Cortland State Heidelberg is probably one of the best games of the weekend to attend.
0: I've got a surprising result that. Um you know, is not maybe one of the uh, the high, highest of the highlights, but not uh, consider not particularly off the beaten path either. Um, I'm talking about Bridgewater and uh, Gettysburg beating them 49 to 10. Certainly, there are a lot of surprising results in Week One, and I think almost by definition there have to be more surprises in Week One than any other week. But I just was not expecting Gettysburg to manhandle the Eagles that way. You know. Um, um what that's about, what this means, I'm not sure about yet. We'll have to figure this out as the season goes along. Uh whether this says more about Gettysburg or more about Bridgewater. We had the bullets pegged as the middle of the pack in the centennial and, and Bridgewater pretty similarly in the ODAC, but but also, you know, Gettysburg could have thrown a wrinkle into that spread wing offense that uh, Bridgewater wasn't particularly ready to handle. And maybe by the time uh, more Centennial Conference opponents see that on tape, they'll be able to handle it. But uh, I was just really surprised by the the way that came out this weekend.
1: Well, my most surprising result has to be Thomas Moore, 48, St. John Fisher, 0. That's not so much a surprise that the Saints won since both, team came, both teams came in ranked closely to one another in the top 25. But the margin, the sheer dominance, the 607 to 205, total offense advantage and, and there was nothing fluky about it there's no statistical quirk the cardinals only had one turnover and two penalties thomas moore had 10 penalties uh, basically it was it was the saints uh, jensen gebhardt who had a big day passing and, and tyler vogelpole who had eight catches for 207 yards and two touchdowns now it's it's st- st- certainly just stunning to see st john fisher losing this way but this is my kind of nine conference result not the 48 point margin but the fact that it shakes up what we think we know about two conferences we have no idea now who the favorite in the empire eight should be and you have to figure thomas more is every bit the uh, the president's athletic conference favorite that washington jefferson is
0: yeah i mean st john fisher hasn't been shut out since 2001 um and uh you, you we had already we would already talked about on our last podcast about how um you know, how the how packed the middle of the Empire 8 is, but that we thought that St. John Fisher was head and shoulders, if not head at least, above the rest of them. And, and now I, I completely agree with you. Uh, even though that's a non-conference result, and yeah, the you know, they have, uh, they have the eight conference games that determine the conference title. This changes perception, and it changes, I think, everybody's confidence level in that conference. And I think, uh, you know, of those nine teams in the Empire 8, um you know there are eight that have a legitimate shot at winning it now yeah
1: i think it's gonna be maybe the most exciting conference race to watch
0: ah, yeah Pfft. running the gauntlet that's what the empire Eight's going to be like this year um let's see stat of the week uh my stat of the week is uh number 123 that's how many snaps there were in the ursinus millersville game in regulation without a score Uh, Millersville is a D2 school, yes, but they were 1-10 last year, so this is not like a world-beater scenario as much as a head-scratcher. These teams combine for 25 punts, 23 tackles for loss, 14 pass breakups. You're kind of game, right, Keith? Nothing, nothing at the end of regulation. Ursinus eventually goes on to win 17-9 in quintuple overtime when Corey Kelly scores in a 10-yard touchdown run, and the Bears defense has one last stand to hold Millersville on fourth down at the Bears' 17-yard line.
1: Hey, I like defense, but I don't know if I like it that much. No,
0: <laughs> that's all I was thinking. Is I'm a, that's on Thursday night. I'm at uh, I'm at Wisconsin Stout, where uh, Bethel is uh, at this point has put this game away in the fourth quarter. So I'm turning my attention to what's going on elsewhere, and that game is still going on. I'm thinking, I'm glad I'm not broadcasting that game, but if I at least if I were, I would probably have Keith with me
1: yeah and, it, and honestly it was exciting i mean it was a good finish I, they eventually scored some points you had to get into several overtimes before that started happening but uh but how about um uh, my stats of the week they are uh, they aren't defensive stats so that proves i'm i'm well-rounded uh washington and lee allowed 611 yards and more than seven yards per play against a terrible defense but they still won by 28 points 63 35 WNL had 33 rushing first downs, 649 rushing yards, on the way to 712 total yards, and all nine of the Generals' touchdowns were on the ground. Now, WNL is a run-based offense, but still, those are some amazing numbers.
0: I didn't even realize. I, all I looked was at the other half of that box score, and I saw WNL had 712 yards of total offense. I didn't realize they gave up 611 also.
1: Yeah, yeah, Averett, of course, throwing to get back in the game at, at several points during that game. Um, Wrapped up a big, big passing total, something like 450 yards passing.
0: Craziness. Uh, WNL, 712 yards on offense, uh, 649 of them on the ground, though. That is, uh, that's what the generals have been like the last couple of years. Um, for those of you who don't know, Keith played uh, played safety at Randolph Macon, safety and cornerback. So he's a. That's why he's our defensive guru, um, and why it's unusual for him to, you know give any credit to the offense whatsoever now i'm totally giving you a hard time that's not fair
1: yeah i just like to see offensive pass interference called every now and again (laughs) that's my main thing (laughs)
0: uh yes yes indeed uh also as part of this podcast you know uh we do uh the the triple take which is our three-headed predictions on uh typically on friday morning Heading into the uh, week's games, we predict what the biggest game of the week is, if there are any possible upsets, that sort of thing. And then uh, on Monday, we take them and we uh, we reevaluate ourselves. We give ourselves props when necessary and then uh, you know smack each other upside the head uh, when necessary as well. So we'll start with that. The worst predictions from Triple Take. Let's see. Biggest uh, week one letdown. Uh, I went with Morrisville State. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, Ryan went with Rowan. That didn't happen either. Um, and then, uh, let's see, we all uh, tried to pick a lopsided matchup that might be most more competitive, but uh, all of that's kind of a matter of wishful thinking anyway.
1: Yeah, those were not uh, competitive matchups. The three we picked, we picked uh, Johns Hopkins, Randolph-Macon, Guilford-Greensboro, Bethany at Mount Union, and uh, I think Hopkins-Macon was 52-17. That was the closest one, or 40, 47 points at, at Mount Union. <laughs> um, we did make some good picks, though. It wasn't just just all whiffs and triple take, but we will own up to our bad picks by giving you the worst predictions first. Um, I did pick Widener as the most likely top 25 team to be upset uh, by Rowan. Rowan was just outside the top 25. Widener was ranked 12th. Uh, Pat, you picked that as the game of the week, and it it wasn't the best finish of the week, but it certainly lived up to the hype. Um, Also thought MIT WPI would be uh, surprisingly close, so I guess I get a pat on the back for that one, uh, WPI actually won that game, and, and MIT I think was a team that all of us uh, who wrote stuff in kickoff about uh, either East Coast teams or uh, or long-term predictions, uh, we picked that as a team that was that was. Probably not going to have as, as great a season as they had last year, undefeated in the regular season, winning a first-round playoff game. Uh, they won, I think, three really close finishes last year. So um, it, it's it's going to be hard for them to live up to it, and, and now they've started off uh, on the wrong foot. And we should also give um, Ryan some props in triple take. Uh, he picked Augustana as surprisingly close, and they won their first game. Under former Monmouth coach Steve Bell. So a good prediction there from from tips.
0: Yeah, they'd be Mount St. Joseph 42 to 39. Um, We go now to the lightning round and we've uh, you know, it's almost like we need to throw in some more categories. Keith, this is uh, we had a full week of football. We're not going to have a full week of podcasts, So we might have a really long lightning round. How about that? All right, that's fine. So let's start with Wilmington. Uh, they snapped a 23-game losing streak by beating Bluffton. Um, you know, I I agonized quite a bit over the predictions that we got for the OAC. Uh, that had uh, Wilmington uh, initially. The one we got had Wilmington going 0 and 10, and I just didn't see that as as happening. I thought that Stacey Harrison had a uh, had a shot to to really turn this program around. It, it was only been a couple of seasons. Um, and I thought that he had a shot to do it. I thought they might win a conference game. I didn't know if they would necessarily be Bluffton, but this is a good win for them.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's always good for us to see teams after they've struggled for a few years have a. Uh you know, a breakthrough and, you know, the, the tweet from Wilmington on the weekend just started with celebration and like 84 uh, exclamation points after it. We saw <laughs> Tufts go, go through this last year where they it broke a long losing streak and then they ended up winning four games. So could portend good things. Stacey Hairston, uh, longtime listeners and readers may remember, uh, was with Ohio Northern when they were a pretty good challenger to uh, to Mount Union back in the days um, in, in the early 2000s. Uh, Wabash, they won the Gentleman's Classic, beating Hampton-Sydney 35-3. Now, I don't know if we ever thought we'd see Tigers, known for their high-powered offense under Marty Favret, score just three points in a game. So, either the Little Giants are that good defensively, or the no-nash-nance at quarterback transition is going to be really tough for Hampton-Sydney.
0: I really want to call that the stag bowl with one G rather than the Gentleman's Classic. That way, first of all, I don't have to remember whether it's Gentleman or Gentlemen, uh, which I always have to do with the Dutchman shoes. It's Dutchman shoes, right? The Union RPI trophy.
1: Right. Well, I'm worried about the possessive too. It belongs. It's the Dutchman's. It belongs to the the Dutchman, right?
0: Yeah, but I think it's just the Dutchman shoes. I don't
1: know. It is. It, it's the. Shoes. We're gonna get emails about this or <laughs> or tweets now.
0: <laughs> Frank Rossi, I'm waiting for you. Yeah, Stag Bowl with one G, and if you don't get that, then you know go Google it. Warburg, tough start for them. I mean, they got the W. They beat uh, they beat Augsburg 35-27. I was at that game last year at Augsburg, and yeah, you know, uh, Warburg just manhandled them. Um, but uh, in this instance, uh, home opener, um, you know, under the lights, uh, Warburg had to pick off Ayrton Scott three times in the fourth quarter to win that game.
1: Yeah, it's still still a big win uh, for Warburg. You you beat you beat a Mayak team. I think that's uh that's that's good. You know, top half maybe middle road myac team. It's a good win to start off the season, but certainly the margin was a little closer than we thought for a team that's consensus top 6, 5 type yeah. team. Battle of the uh, Bergs
0: Battle of the Bergs has been really competitive in previous years when it wasn't supposed to be, and of course these teams have a great wrestling rivalry, but I thought that uh, in football I thought that the Knights of Warburg were just uh, head and shoulders at this point.
1: Now, we mentioned Hampton-Sydney uh, a couple of seconds ago. Their rival, Randolph-Macon, got shellacked by Johns Hopkins, which is probably more of an indication that the Blue Jays are going to be as good as they usually are, usually a you know, top 15 type of team. Uh, but it also might portend a rough year in the ODAC, which is normally difficult to predict. Um, but maybe it's just a year where we see some non-traditional powers like Guilford or Emory and Henry rise to so the top of that always rough and tumble conference.
0: Uh, I tell you that that uh, that result and the uh, the Bridgewater result, I r- really uh, really think that we will see those things that uh, that you suggest happening in the in the Odak. So Hobart got uh, got its season off to a start without Tyree Coleman, without Ali Marpet, without DeAndre Smith. Um, you have a transfer quarterback who uh, uh, got off to a pretty good start, and uh, Hobart easily beat Dickinson. I would like to see. Obviously, these teams have played each other. Quite a long time. Uh, it's Dickinson's only non-conference game. Hobart stepped up its non-conference schedule a little bit. They'll be playing Ithaca this season, but I'd like to see Hobart play somebody else. I think that these programs have gone in opposite directions, and I'd like to see Hobart uh, play somebody who's uh, had a little bit more sustained success of late.
1: Yeah, I, I like it just because um, you know those are you lose a player to the NFL draft, yeah. you lose the all-time one of the top five sack leaders in D3 history uh, and an all American offensive lineman. Um, you know, it was good to see them get off to, a good. not good. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not rooting for them anymore than I'm rooting for anyone else. But, but um, you, you know, you wonder, you have questions, I guess, as an analyst, are they going to be um, the same type of team? And, and that's, you know, Dickinson, not, not the, Toughest opponent they'll see, but uh, interest, you know, good to see them uh, get off to a to a good start. Um, here, with another good start, a surprisingly good start, I think, for Albion. Uh, they beat UW Stevens Point 65-52 in a game with a with a wild ending. Uh, also, a game with a basketball score, but really, I just wanted to make sure we got this in there because they they had the win at Sprankle Sprandle Stadium. <laughs>
0: That's your. That's your. Is that your favorite stadium name in Division Three? It's
1: probably my favorite name in Division Three. Yes.
0: I tell you this: uh, Wisconsin Stevens Point would not lose to Albion in men's basketball, sixty-five fifty-two pointers. Of course, the defending national champions. Um, we could detail that crazy ending, but you can also find it on the website in our uh, uh, in our roundup from Saturday. But basically, it involved uh, a turnover on downs and a interception return for a touchdown and all sorts of craziness. Um, you know, awful, uh, awful. Often we see big numbers, especially early in the season. Yeah, sometimes late in the season too. Pair of 77s on a Saturday as a Hardin-Simmons, uh, hung 77 on Southwestern in its third season with a program, and Guilford scored 77 on its crosstown rival Greensboro. So a, uh, uh a couple of uh, a couple of big numbers there. And I, if I remember correctly. Um, all of it, all of it. Yep. Yeah. 75 on Earlham. So there's a, there were a lot of points. I wanted to point out something else too. I have got Harden Simmons information here in front of me that the, uh, the punt return unit, uh, in re- really good shape for Harden Simmons early in the season, two punt returns for touchdowns, uh, two blocks, uh, two block punts, one for a touchdown, one for a safety. Sometimes, uh, especially with the young programs, uh, Special teams are the last things to come together, and uh, southwestern certainly lost the battle on punt returns on both directions on Saturday. It
1: yeah, definitely got to be a little concerning for southwestern. You want to see you know, those new programs, and again, we mentioned it's the pirates' third year, but you want to see them start to make steps in the right direction. And that's a, you know, Hardin-Simmons tough opener. Um, that's just the seventy-seven stands out, and then there are probably plenty of other teams who could have scored that number on Saturday, but but called off the dogs uh, in in the fourth quarter. Um, the, the big off season shakeup is conference wise was, was the Empire eight and the NJAC, the New Jersey athletic conference, getting teams who would be in the capital athletic conference and other sports, Christopher Newport, Wesley, Frostburg, Salisbury.
0: Well, uh, yeah. And yeah, those were the four new ones. And there's one more CAC team. If you remember. Uh, Southern Virginia. There you go, yeah.
1: Uh, So those five teams go with uh, the five remaining in-state teams uh, in New Jersey. They create a 10-team NJAC. I just thought it was interesting that uh, Christopher Newport won its NJAC debut, beating uh, the College of New Jersey 31-21.
0: Coming back to Division III uh, is McMurray. Uh, they left after 2011, they came back, or at least uh, they've re-entered the provisional pipeline, blah, 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 NCAA speak, uh, and their first game back as uh, any resemblance of a Division three member, they beat each Texas Baptist
1: 49-22. I'm glad you got the, the question, or the lightning round item where you could... <laughs> say ncaa speak blah 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 blah
0: blah. (laughs) what we did is we have the lightning round we've got you know bullet points as the things we want to cover and now we're just alternating so some of the ones i'm reading ones keith wrote and some of the ones keith's reading stuff i I didn't write very many of these actually but uh um i wanted to i was going to bring that up earlier when we were talking about the hobart thing um that's something keith wrote down and then i put a completely different spin on it than i think he intended that's half the fun though,
1: right? You want to have some like spontaneity coming off the top. Um remember when Coe was really good? You know, you look at that Wheaton 52-14 score. Uh, they put a hurting on them on, on Saturday and, and Wheaton obviously uh top 12, top 10 type team. Um I should I should have the top 25 right in front of me, but I, I know I seven? had Wheaton. Yeah, they're seven. seven.
0: I think they're seven, yeah.
1: Yeah, I had Wheaton. I think right either I think ten maybe. I have have like Wheaton. I have St. Thomas and St. John's next to each other, and then Wheaton and North Central because I can't figure out you know who I like (laughs) better out of the two. But I know they're both going to be really good on both in both occasions, and at least in Tommy Johnny, we'll get an answer in
0: September. Yeah, they'll both and both of those teams obviously will play each other, so we'll find out an answer at some point.
1: But anyway, getting back to to Coe, you know, to see them lose 52-14 to Wheaton, Coe was a a top 25 team not that long ago, and, you know, now you're at the point where you start to wonder, does does Cornell have a shot to break that uh, 15-game losing streak against them?
0: Yeah, Coe's uh, won that rivalry 15 in a row uh, now, and... Uh, the thing that's interesting about Co. this year is they, uh, of course, they lost a lot of starters from last year, obviously, but they they don't have a very big roster. I, I think they came into the season with uh, one of the smaller rosters in Division Three, and that's unusual for uh, a program that's uh, that's been successful of late. Uh, I mentioned earlier, this is the time of year where you see some interesting matchups um, and some odd road trips. In this case, Mary Harden Baylor went up to Ohio Wesleyan uh, this week. And, you know, uh, Mary Harden Baylor's been to Delaware before, but it's usually to Dover, Delaware. And now they're at Delaware, Ohio. Um, this week... Nice. Uh, yeah, thanks, see? I, I turned that into something. Uh, something more than it was. Some of its parts, something like that. Um, Whitewater uh, makes its uh, de- season debut next week. They go down to Bellhaven. Bellhaven is one of those other programs that's new to Division 3. And um, the, they lost, I think, fifty-two to twenty-three to backyard rival, literal backyard rival, practically uh, Millsaps. I looked at those two on the map, uh, Keith, when I was doing the road trips thing. They're like a mile and a half apart. So when um, uh, Millsaps and Mississippi College had the backyard brawl, they were like eight miles apart. This is a literal backyard brawl in Jackson, Mississippi, when Millsaps and uh, Bellhaven play. Think someone could throw from Millsaps property and hit hit Bellhaven's campus? Yeah, I, I mean it's. <laughs> I don't know where the property lines are. It's certainly possible. I know that it was like Google Maps had it a mile and a half from center to center of campus.
1: All right, yeah, yeah. that's a that's a long that's a long throw. Um, One one last you know thing, bonus point for our um, real diehard fans, those of you who purchased Kickoff, which is our preseason. Preview edition, it's still available, and for the teams who haven't kicked off, you may still find it interesting. Um, We ranked the conferences, as well as every team in Division III, but we we ranked the conferences in uh, in kickoff, and this year we had uh, the OAC and the Empire 8. Both of them were in the top five. Keep an eye on them. When Ryan Tips writes Around the Nation later in September after most of the non-conference results are in, Let's uh, let's keep an eye on those two where they end up when we re-rank the conferences because uh, Buffalo State beat Otterbein and Cortland State beat Heidelberg. So you got two two checks in the Empire 8's win column when you're trying to compare them with the OAC.
0: Yeah, and the the game that's left is coming up this week with uh, Utica traveling to Ohio Northern. That would be a that would be a real uh, feat for the Empire Eight to pull that off and sweep the three. But uh, they've won the first two, so certainly. Any of those things are possible. Uh, looking ahead to what's coming up next week, um, you know we've got a handful of teams that are taking the field for the first time. We mentioned Whitewater's making that trip down to Mississippi to play Bellhaven. Uh, we've got the West Coast battle between uh, third-ranked Linfield and uh, 22nd-ranked Chapman. Is that still the I, I, that may not still be ranking-wise? Uh, yeah, I right. Went to Three the top 22. 22. You the did top it. 25 when I wrote that. You did it. I'm sorry. Good job. My bad. Uh, Wesley takes the field for the first time. They play Frostburg. Uh, North Central hasn't played yet. They'll play Trine, and Trine looked pretty good against Manchester back on Thursday night. Trine could be a, a, could play into the mix in the MIAA. It is an MIAA-CCIW challenge week, if I uh, remember correctly, because uh, Adrian is playing Wheaton. And uh, I know North Park was playing uh, St. Norbert, which of course is the other team that gets uh, added into this because there's not the right number of teams. Albion playing Augustana. We've talked about both of those teams already in the course of this podcast. Uh, Alma, which played uh, team number 246 in week one, will then go to Illinois Wesleyan to play a team. uh, I know we had them somewhere in the top 90 at the the very least, so it'll be a a good, uh, interesting, different change for them there.
1: Illinois Wesleyan was uh, they, it was a 59th ranked team. I put that in triple take this week because they were playing number 50 Franklin uh, in the opener. Um, I just think it's kind of cool that, I don't know if it's kind of cool, I don't know how to put it, but 195 teams were in action in week one, which means you know it's obviously exciting on 195 campuses, but that's only four-fifths of the group that actually played in week one. So uh, there are still about 50, 52 teams that need to make their uh, their debuts. Now, not all of them will play next week because yeah. the ten, 10 of those teams are the NESCAC. They don't start till late September. But there's still a handful of teams that will play their first games uh, next week. And as you mentioned, Whitewater, Linfield, Wesley, North Central, Chapman, all top 25 teams that, that didn't play this week.
0: You know, Keith, we didn't talk about uh, – I'm looking at next week's schedule. So we didn't talk about Susquehanna. They beat Lyco on saturday and uh, tom perkovich's first game as head coach uh they play at johns hopkins I, uh, interesting to see what uh, susquehanna does the rest of the way
1: yeah it you know that that's a shock that's kind of a shocker well, I, we should we should probably should have mentioned that somewhere we we'll would squeeze it into one of our things because we just like yeah yeah like, like well Lycos just been one of the the you know best teams in the mac for a while and susquehanna's ha- had Nice run, uh, one. I think it was the Liberty League, because they jumped from conference to conference to conference under Steve Briggs, and Briggs uh, had just retired. So, yeah, that's a huge, huge win. May shake things up in Pennsylvania a little bit.
0: Uh, Kevin DeWall, the former uh, Hobart coordinator, now the head coach at Endicott, takes his new team back to face his old team, as Endicott is at Hobart this coming week. Uh, let's see, St. Thomas hosts... UW Lacrosse, Hardin Simmons and Texas Lutheran. That's a, a big non-conference battle in Texas early in the season. Yeah, you're right.
1: In, uh, in Texas Lutheran, uh, they didn't they didn't blow so State out, but um, but they won pretty handily. And obviously, we talked about that um, Hardin Simmons result. So see some should see some high-powered offense. Pat, you'll get to try it out the little 12 joke next week.
0: There you go. I already uh, I used it with who did I talk to? One of the coaches because I wrote the ASC previews for kickoff. Um
1: I read it somewhere once this, this yeah, season already.
0: Somebody I well I wrote it in kickoff and it was someone who one of the new one one of the new it was the coach at McMurray, uh Lance Hinson, who is you know new to the whole thing and it was talking about how um uh, I, I was I was talking about how much how how focused they were on defense as a program and how that seems to be inconsistent with the rest of the uh, the conference aside from Mary Hardin Baylor of course. Uh, Centennial Conference had a really good first week of action. Uh, that's the only non-conference games that any of those teams will play. It's right into conference play. Uh, and Muhlenberg goes to Franklin and Marshall. That's a game between two teams we thought uh, would contend for uh, uh, an at-large bid, if not uh, the right to challenge Johns Hopkins. For that conference title, uh, Lyco at Stevenson should be an interesting game. Keith, I think we um, we read or we wrote somewhere as a as a collective that Stevenson should be pretty good this year.
1: Yeah, they, you know that's a team that that again was a startup and and is now hitting that point where you know we should we should start to see some results for them. Eight wins. Last season, although I think that includes a ECAC yeah bowl win. So uh, same thing when we mentioned nine wins for Morrisville, they didn't win nine in, in the regular season. Um, if you paid attention to the whole entire broadcast, we just brought that one full circle. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I think Stevenson Lycos one to watch. Um, before we move on, uh, two results that we just had no nowhere, nowhere to squeeze in, we should uh, just drop in here. Uh, Delval beating Montclair State twenty seven twenty four week one, probably a candidate. For uh, for surprising week one win, because like Morrisville, uh, we thought, a lot of people thought Del Valle was going to backslide a little bit, lost a lot of key players, uh, but was able to pull that victory out against Montclair State. And uh, I mentioned Illinois, Wesleyan, and Franklin. It was 34, 24. The Titans won that one. Franklin will be fine. They'll, they'll play there, they'll, they'll win the HCAC like they always do.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the Heartland won just one game uh, last week. Uh, The Bluffton lost to Wilmington, which hadn't lost or which hadn't won a game in two and a half years, practically. Um, So, again, not looking great for the for the heartline. But, yeah, Delaware Valley, Um, you know, just one starter back on offense and, uh, completely different for them. But I, I thought too, that, and I think I, I believe I actually wrote this in triple take is that, you know, Montclair state's not the type of offense that'll, you know, pull away and run away and hide from you. And I thought that, um, you know, Delaware Valley has a chance to, to stay in that game and hang around and they might be able to do something. And it turns out they did. Yeah, that's almost
1: exactly how it went. Um, it was, uh, well, I, I mean, they, they built a lead, but, um, but they, it was it was tight at a point in that game in the fourth quarter, 2017 game. So, um, like you said, it's uh, they don't. They Montclair State's kind of always been that, that uh, kind of defensive, grinded out team. Rowan's the same way, and uh, you know worked out for Rowan on Saturday, and it, it didn't work out for Delval.
0: If you, go over, if you go see a Mountain Union-John Carroll game, you're going to see about 300 kids on the sidelines between the two teams combined if everybody dresses. If you go to this game on Saturday between Lawrence and Maranatha Baptist, you are going to see a total of about 70 kids uh, if, if that's if they're all dressed. And if you think of the, you know, the fact that 22 of them are going to be on the field at any given point, there's a lot of room to walk around on those sidelines. Uh, those two teams face each other. Uh, for both of those teams, it's a shot at a win. Um, and Lawrence, I'll tell you, Lawrence looked uh, unimpressive on Saturday against Rockford. And Rockford's not a a, a world beater in the uh, in that part of the country either. So uh, Lawrence is going to have a pretty tough season from the looks of it so far.
1: Well, there's no way I can top or follow that. You just went from the very top of D3 to the bottom and then wrapped it all together in one.
0: <laughs> How about Hampton-Sydney-Christopher-Newport? That should be a good game.
1: Yeah, and... and- uh, you know, two teams in, in Virginia who have never been conference members but have played each other. I think this is maybe the fourth year in a row. Uh, you know, certainly looking to see some offense out of Hampton-Sydney. Want to judge whether that was just Wabash defense being so good. Um, you know, that game was that game was at Hampton-Sydney too. So, uh, you know, will they bounce back and be the typical Hampton-Sydney team or or is, uh, you know, it's going to be a rough year for them and, and, and CNU? you know, gets another good non-conference game in before it uh, goes back to NJAC play.
0: I want to wrap up our look at next week's games with a cross-river rivalry between uh, Wisconsin-Platteville and Dubuque and then uh, the West Coast um, Lutheran Classic between Pac-Lutheran and Cal Lutheran. I know this game had a sponsor once upon a time. I can't remember if that was like Thriving Financial for Lutherans or something like that, but that was, uh, that's was that been a, uh, a pretty good non-conference game in the past.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a pretty good non-conference game. You got me on the sponsor, and I I actually don't remember that.
0: I live in a Lutheran stronghold here in Minneapolis, so these things invade my head whether uh, whether it's uh, relevant to me or not. So that's uh, a a quick look at what's coming up next week. We mentioned, of course, that there are a handful of teams uh, taking the field for the first time uh, and a handful of teams that uh, won't take the field for yet another week. Uh, I'm interested to see what Ohio Northern does. We mentioned they host Utica. Um, you know, there's been actual hype about their incoming uh, um, junior college transfer quarterback. I guess Ricardo Johnson III will be a sophomore. Played one year at uh, at the JUCO level, and is supposed to be this all-world guy who ended up there because his uncle was in the Ohio Northern uh, Athletics Hall of Fame. I'm interested to see if uh, how that works out.
1: Uh, also some other games that are, that are just, um, you know, worth watching next week. Uh, we weren't totally clear earlier that Cornell at co game is next week. Um, Rose Holman, Illinois college played a 74, 68 game last year. And this week the Rose Holman now, um, who who I totally glazed over like five minutes ago when I said, Franklin's just going to win the conference. Uh, Rose Holman goes to, uh, to Illinois college, uh, another night game. It probably won't be hundred and however many odd points that was, but uh, could be a good one. And there was at least one more. I saw on the list, but I've now glazed over it. War- um,
0: Warburg, Bethel. That's where I'll yeah. be. That's where I'll be on Saturday. Well, that's a good one. <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> that's an that's an that's a key game of some sort.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and a uh, chance for both of those teams, both top twenty-five, to to get a big uh, big win that may come back to help them. Uh, later down the line, you know, if case they're uh, in, in the group of that large teams, a couple of interesting games, at least interesting to me in Massachusetts, because I did. So I read so many of the Massachusetts um, previews for kickoff uh, WPI and Worcester State, obviously just a crosstown game. Uh, Nichols and Anna Maria, both teams trying to, you know, get some wins under their belts. I think that that'll be an interesting one um, as well. Oh, maritime battle, so SUNY Maritime, Mass Maritime, everybody's
0: going sailing. If you had the over-under for this podcast at 48 minutes, you might get there if I finish this really quickly. Thanks for listening to the Around the Nation podcast. Stay tuned the rest of the week. Around the Region columnists uh, and then Ryan Tips will have an Around the Nation feature coming up this week, and we'll get you with Triple Take on Friday and then all the stuff that comes in for week two of the Division three football season. For Keith McMillan, I'm Pat Coleman. That's the Around the Nation podcast.